Acts 13, 1-5. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. This is the word of the Lord. For many years at ECC, we have used two common phrases to describe who we are in our mission. Those two phrases are these. We are a receiving, an equipping, and ascending church. That's the first phrase. It does describe who we are. The second phrase is this. We're a church that attempts and is reflecting the redeeming grace and transforming truth of Jesus Christ in Bloomington, this college town, and beyond. We adopt those phrases not because we're the only ones that do it. We adopt those phrases not because they make us unique from everyone else. We adopt those phrases because we do think it's who we are and who we're created to be. We basically adopt those phrases because we want to step into the lineage of the New Testament apostles and those who followed them. Because from the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ, the saints have always been about this. They've always been receiving people in and equipping them and sending them out. They've always been at the work of reflecting the redeeming grace and transforming truth of Jesus Christ wherever they are. It begins before the church kind of officially starts. I mean, before the day of Pentecost. It begins when Jesus says, I want you, disciples, to go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when you go, I'm going to be with you till the very end of the age. No matter where you go and how long you're there, I'll be with you. He also says in the book of Acts, you're going to be my witnesses, not only in Jerusalem, but in Samaria and Judea and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Disciples, your mission is to be sent. That's what the church does. The church at Antioch, we just read just a smidgen about the church in Antioch. It was an amazing church, a wonderful church. It was considered to be a very diverse church. I mean, listen to this. Paul was from Tarsus. Barnabas was from Cyprus. Lucius was from North Africa. Simeon was from Central Africa. And Menaean was a local from Antioch, which basically, by the way, in terms of geography, is right at the edge of what is now Syria and Turkey. All these people converged in one place. Why did they converge in one place and a lot of other people with them? One primary reason. 
They were running for their lives. They were refugees from persecution. After the martyrdom of Stephen, they rushed to the north to get away from the persecution. And people came from all over the place and flooded into Antioch, a city of maybe 500,000 people. And that city of Antioch was seen as a hub for the Christian community. So much so that Paul and Barnabas identified it as a place they needed to be. And Paul was called by Barnabas to come and to do some ministry there. And so for one solid year they taught the scriptures concerning Jesus Christ. And then, then they moved on. And people who were there moved on. I would love to know more about the history of the church at Antioch. How many people left and went back south after the persecution dropped down? How many people went to the north and the east and the west? It seemed like they were constantly going through Antioch and sending them out. Over the space of eight to ten years, Paul did three missionary journeys all over Asia Minor and even into what we now call parts of Europe. It's an amazing story. Matter of fact, let me give you just a rundown of how fast it happened. Let's put the date of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection at 33 AD. By 34 AD, Philip, a disciple of Jesus, had baptized an Ethiopian prince who was passing through the region. Do you think he stayed there? No. He went back to Ethiopia, and a church is established. 42 AD, Mark is sent to Egypt, the place that the people of Israel were rescued from so many thousands of years earlier. By 47 AD, Paul begins one of his first three missionary journeys. By 52 AD, Thomas, doubting Thomas, the man that said, I will not believe until I can touch your side and touch the nail prints in your hands, that Thomas spreads the gospel to India. By 63 AD, we have record that Joseph of Arimathea, he's the one who gave Jesus his tomb after the burial, a wealthy man. Joseph travels to Glastonbury. You know where that is? Southern England. By 80 AD, the first Christians are reported in France. By 174 A.D., there are Christians in Austria. By 200 A.D., the Christian church has gone to Switzerland and Belgium. 208 A.D., one of the church fathers named Tertullian says, there are Christians beyond the Roman wall in Britain in the outermost regions, beyond the southern part of England that we now know of today to the northern regions the church has spread. That happened in roughly 200 years. Why? Because the identity of the church has always been sending out. The identity of the church has always been mission. That's what we do. It's what we've done here for 40 years or more. We've sent people all over the world. We are an Antioch-like church. And I love this place for that. You know what, this is a sort of a, a dark comment, but it's true. If we ever start stop sending, we will die. Churches that stop sending and stop serving and stop proclaiming the gospel, they die. 
Because that's what they were created for. And when you do not do what you're created for, you wither on the vine. What do we do when we are sent out? When we receive one another in, when we equip one another and when we're sent out, what we do is we share the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. And that redeeming grace of Jesus Christ has a long history. It's not just our redeeming grace in Jesus Christ. It's not just the story of the New Testament and God redeeming people. It goes all the way back to the beginning when the fall takes place and Adam and Eve spoil the reality of paradise with God. God says, I'm going to fix the problem. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take from the problem the remedy. Through the seed of the woman, I'm going to bring someone who is going to redeem all of humanity. And we know that now as being Jesus Christ. And the story continues in Abraham when he leaves Ur of the Chaldees and he goes south to this place called Palestine as we now know it. And in that place, God says, I promise I'm going to establish a great nation in your name. And your name and your nation is going to bless the whole earth. How in the world, must Abraham have thought, could that ever happen? And now we know in retrospect, the point was that when Isaac was born, and when Mount Moriah was the picture, the whole story became about Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And through the lineage of Abraham comes Christ. Before all that happens, you know that Abraham's descendants found their way into Egypt and stayed there much longer than they had intended and became slaves in Egypt and had no possibility of redemption on their own. They could not do it. But God, maybe the two most important words in our vocabulary, but God. But God said, I'm going to redeem this people. Not because they're good, not because they're great, not because they deserve it, but because I want to redeem them to proclaim my glory to the world. And so he took Moses and he raised him up and he let them cross the Red Sea and people were pursuing them in hot pursuit to take them back as slaves. And he redeemed them by his grace. Slaves from Egypt. That story carries on and is repeated over and over again in the lives of Christian in the New Testament and even today. The notion of exodus and redemption is at the heart of the gospel. Matter of fact, just recently, some of our missionaries experienced something of a participatory redemption. Melanie and Ryan Brasher, who are in Pakistan, Ryan is a professor at a university, but thoroughly committed to Jesus Christ and wondering how he can share the good news with others, identified a huge problem among some of the people that were attached to the university, people who worked as servants to the university, undereducated folks, their families were caught in the snare of slavery. Slavery because of debt that they had, but slavery that they never would get out of. There was no possibility, no matter how long they worked, that they would ever be freed because the debt was too great. And Ryan and Melanie had a vision to rescue them. They were kiln workers, making bricks. Sound familiar? The people of Israel and Egypt. They came up with a plan to rescue these people by paying the kiln workers the amount it took to get them rescued. And some of you were a part of this. 
Our children and children's ministry were led by Leah Wooden, and we're going to talk about it in one of our episodes in the next four uh, Sundays, led by Leah Wooden to raise funds and to pray for and to be in contact with Ryan and Melanie as they reached out to rescue the kiln workers. The good news, they've been rescued. Their debt was paid. They were brought home, and they're rebuilding a life, trying to figure out what it means to work in a culture to sustain themselves. On the way back from the rescue and when they arrived back home, Ryan and Melanie took the opportunity to tell them the story of the Exodus. Do you see the connection? You too are being redeemed by God. Christian people from all over the world have come to help in your redemption. That's what the church has always done. That's what the church must continue to do. That is our call to missions in this place. That's why every single year about this time of the year, we raise funds for missions, and they go directly to those people who are doing that work. An incredible part of the mission that God has extended to us in redemption is played out in the New Testament, of course, but especially in the in the epistle to the Ephesians, I, I have to admit it's my favorite book. I just love the way it reads. Paul begins the book of Ephesians by saying, you were chosen, you people, for the foundation of the earth to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he adopted you and predestined you to do good works. Why? To the praise of his glorious grace. Just like the people of Israel delivered from Egypt to the praise of his glorious grace. I've extended grace and redemption to you. I've rescued you from your sins. I've given you hope. I've given you the promise of the resurrection so that it can be for my glory all over the world. The point is, when you're redeemed, you can't help but reach out and redeem others. When you're redeemed by the gracious gospel of Jesus Christ, you can't help but tell others about the gracious gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the church does. We cannot help but share the good news. This summer, Ryan and Melanie Brasher were here with us, and we had another missionary that was here with us, Paul and Michelle Weaver. Paul and Michelle Weaver uh, went to Turkey to be a part of an organization, BCC, which means Bible Correspondence Course. Now, the Bible Correspondence Course had been established long before Paul and Michelle got there. They had basically had mail-ins for people who wanted to be uh, put on a mailing list so they could receive Bibles and so they could receive things related to the Christian faith. Inquiry from people all over Turkey. When Paul went, they commissioned him to do one thing, to make the whole operation electronic. They said, what if we could actually capture the electronic world that we now see in front of us and make BCC a place where people can just click once online and interact with people and read the Bible? Paul said, of course we can do that. They more than tripled the number of people who now receive the scriptures via electronic mail. Dramatic increase. By the way, there's a church 
two churches in Turkey that had been established by a partner of his at BCC. And our missions committee this year, for the first time, has decided to support that church, that pastor. In March, I will visit him, and I will be at both of those churches. One of them is in Europe, and on the same day on Sunday, we cross a river to the Asian side of Turkey for another church that he's established. The church cannot help but share the good news. Because we've been redeemed by the grace of God, but the redemption, as wonderful as it is, is not the whole story. The redemption, as wonderful as it is, would be a short story if it did not extend beyond that. Because when you experience the grace of redemption, you begin to experience the transforming truth of Jesus Christ concerning all of your life, every single bit of it. Just like the song a few moments ago, Lord, you can have it all. Every part of my world, everything I do, and everything I think, transforming truth, it changes our actions, it changes our attitudes, it changes our approach to our finances, it shapes our treasure, and it extends the kingdom of God. To put it another way, when you're transformed by the truth of Jesus Christ, you get a new set of spectacles. And you see things you've never seen before. I know a young man that recently had LASIK surgery. You know what LASIK surgery is? Can't help me any because I'm old and I wear these so I can read my notes. I can see you fine. LASIK surgery is something else. It's for distance vision. And it's remarkable. They just didn't have it a number of years ago. You had to wear glasses. And he'd worn glasses pretty much all his life. And he had LASIK surgery. And when the recovery was over and uh, he could take off those dark glasses, he said he would go outside and sit on his porch and just look in wonder and awe at the same things he'd seen before. He said, I wore glasses and they were great, but there was nothing like this vision. I'd never seen the world like this before. The redeeming grace of Jesus Christ turns into the transforming truth of Jesus Christ so that the reality of our lives changes. We look at everything differently. Nothing's the same. And that's what the church has done around the world for millennia. And we get to be a part of it. Yeah, you and I can't go. Probably not even equipped to go. Don't have it what it takes to go, but other people do, and we can send them. In that video, which was very, very short compared to the whole video that we did, the interview with David and Brenda Mensa. by the way, it's going to be posted online. If you want to see the whole video, then you can go back and listen to it again and maybe catch some of the accent in it. That video tells a story. It tells the story of David and Brenda when they got there. Oh, by the way, for the first five years, David had a member of his team that constantly said to him, when are we going to do evangelism? When are we going to do evangelism? David said, we are doing evangelism. And he said, what do you mean evangelism? We're not doing evangelism. We're just drilling wells. They were drilling wells to get pure water into communities that were drinking out of mud puddles. 
and the diseases were high. And for five years, they drilled wells. That's just about all they did. And you know what happened? 75% reduction in diseases just because people had pure water. Then you know what happened? Some chiefs from some villages came to David and said, why are you doing this? And David said, glad you asked. And they started to proclaim the good news concerning Jesus Christ. You know what that resulted in? 45 churches being planted in northern Ghana. Drilling wells is the good news. Extending a helping hand to the poor is the gospel. It didn't stop there. He began to teach them farming techniques that he had used himself and understood better as a PhD in agricultural development. And corn crops started exponentially growing. He took widows who were absolutely destitute because in that culture, you might have one husband for five women. And when that one husband died, you had five women widowed with children that she couldn't support. And David said, we got to do something about this. So they started buying up small plots of land and giving it to the women so they could farm peanuts. And you know what the process was? When you farm this one acre of land and get the harvest, you set aside 10% of that harvest and put it in a commissary effect, right? So that other women can get land for free and they would buy more land. And they reproduced it all over the northern section of Ghana. They didn't stop there. David started looking at the diet and he said, we need more protein in the diet of these people. They're perishing because of the lack of food that they need. So he decided to come up with what he called a fish hatchery. He said, why not grow our own fish and get diet updates, diet upgrade through the fish, and everybody laughed at him. Said, you're crazy. It'll never work in northern Ghana. You don't have the water up there. We can't. And he said, by the grace of God, we're going to try. He tried. Now the government of Ghana, Ghana is asking them to provide fish for the whole country at something like 50% of the country's consumption of fish comes from David Mensah. One other thing he saw. He saw the environment going to pot. He saw people just destroying the environment, including the rivers. And he said, this is God's good creation. We can't do this. One of the major environmental disasters was fishermen who were trying their best to get as many fish as possible and they would put DDT into the water of the Black Volta River and that DDT would go into the crevices where fish were and the fish would come out, of course, and it would kill them and they would scoop them up. You can imagine what that did to the diet and to the fish. There were almost no fish left. And David said, we have to do something about this because the gospel is big, it's large, it's about everything. So he did You know what? He had 500 volunteers, 500 volunteers to police the Black Volta River. And because they were policing the Black Volta River, David's life was in danger because the commercial fishermen didn't like it at all. They would be reported and arrested or fined. A few years later, the river recovered. Fish started exponentially increasing kinds of fish that never had been in that river for 20 to 30 years came back. And a man who was a commercial fisherman one day 
David said, came to me and he said, I am very, very sorry. I have a confession to make. I hope you can forgive me. I've tried to kill you because I didn't like what you were doing. I thought you were destroying our livelihood. And now I understand what you did. I just want to say I'm sorry. Well, of course, David said you're forgiven. What else can you do when you're a Christ follower? The gospel of Jesus Christ is more than the salvation of the soul, though it is. It's about all of life. It's about the transforming truth of Jesus Christ into every part of our life. Why missions? We have to. Christ commanded us to. Why missions? We get to. If you had the ability to take one penny and invest it, and it would produce $100,000, would you do it? Think about the parable that Jesus gave us. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, tiny little thing. When you plant it in the ground, it becomes a gigantic tree. We have the opportunity to take a tiny little mustard seed of energy and finance and invest it in the kingdom of God and watch what happens. You know, that project in Ghana is only one project. And you can be a part of at least 15 more because God has called us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So join me, will you? And being the church, the mission is ours. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, uh, for the redemption that comes to us in Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, we give you thanks. We also thank you that you told us not to hold it, not to grasp it. As a matter of fact, you give us the example of Jesus who, even though he was equal with God, did not consider equality to God something to be grasped, but he, he emptied himself and gave himself to others. So help us to do the same, Lord. Let us reorient our life around the mission that you've called us to. May we be that place that reflects the redeeming grace and the transforming truth of Jesus Christ in Bloomington and beyond. And we'll thank you that we're a part of such a great cause. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.